welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers. It's me, the mustache host, Taylor. I'm here with the beard host, Isaac. What's up, my guy? Oh, just El Beardo over here, you know, <laughs> hosting with my beard. <laughs> um, um, it's good to be back. Uh, today, we're going to tackle a uh, a pretty maybe complex topic or one that's unique for each individual. So I'm kind of looking forward to diving into that with you. But first, how's your life going? Well, life's going good. Um, f- for those of you who follow along uh, very religiously, uh, I have started a new job uh, at the place where I previously did uh, coaching for the basketball team. So now I'm a teacher and an athletic director. And so still getting my feet under me with that job. Um, so my life is rather busy and we have homecoming coming up and that is a very big event, even at a very small school. So, uh, I've been very busy, but I've been, uh, kind of thriving being really busy. I have found out about myself that if I have a lot of structure, I just do way better. You know, like my meals are on point. And I'm like hitting my daily steps or weekly exercise. I'm just, uh, I'm doing really good to stay on top of stuff so I don't get burned out and sad about my life. So I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here with you. How are, how are you? What's new in your life? Nice. Uh, yeah. So I've also been really busy and I know what you mean. Like I, uh, tend to stay fairly productive no matter what but if i'm busier it makes me manage the other time i have to uh you know like if i have three projects to do in like too much time you know it's like they don't always get done in a timely manner (laughs) or effective you know it's just like it doesn't really matter but then if you're like overly busy um it makes you really uh utilize your your time effectively so that's pretty nice i I completely agree with that sentiment. Yeah, like I have to schedule my like workouts and my runs and stuff. It's like easier than like, well, I kind of have tomorrow to do that at some time, you know, so it's made it easier in that regard. Nice. It's making podcasting way harder, though. That's for sure. But yeah, totally. We're here now and we're doing it. (laughs) See, I'm a creature of habit. And I know this about myself, so it's really easy for me to, like, stay on point with. Like, I, like, run and exercise before breakfast at, like, no other time in the day because that's when I, like, prefer. And I do it every other day. And uh, I just did it long enough that it made it a habit. So now it's just, like, pre-programmed. Totally. You know, um, sometimes I have to get up at, like, fucking quarter to five in the morning or whatever to <laughs> to make it happen. <laughs> but it's, like... You know, like I said, I'm kind of just so ingrained in my habits that it's 
it's easy to kind of like shape my life how I want because I know that and then I can just do it and then it's part of it. Um, yeah. I know not yep. everybody works that way, but. Totally. Yeah. Part for me has been starting the new job. So new wake up time and mm -hmm. I'm not willing to wake up at five in the morning to go for a run. I'll, I have to do it after school. So that's when I do it. But anyway, I digress, but, uh, there any news in the, uh, flesh and blood world, Isaac, that we should be talking about right now? Um, I don't know if we should be talking about it, but we're just going <laughs> to like just titillate about it a little bit. We have been uh, working on something very special tittle, uh, coming tittle, up here tittle. that we will be giving out at Worlds. We will send to our patrons, um, you know, our friends, whatever. If you just like come give me a high five at Worlds, I'll, I'll uh, give you a little something. And um, <laughs> <laughs> It's there. It's really this project is turning out um, really incredibly. So yeah, I don't know how to like convey my excitement and stay super vague, but um, we'll be announcing it soon. And uh, you know, it's it's a pretty fun side thing for us to produce uh, for our community. Hope it makes yeah. everybody a little happier. Totally, pretty stoked. Uh, it should be really cool and. You will probably hear about it in a solid state by our next podcast at the end of October. So right before Worlds. So look forward to that and that episode. Sweet. What else is in the news? Uh, we have the So Calling number three, third time's the charm, October 22nd. That's going to be in L.A., Hosted by Odyssey Games and Justin at Arcane Games and Events. We've had him on the pod. We worked with him for the LA Battle Hardened. Great dude. Great store. And unfortunately, I believe me and Isaac will not be making that trip down. It's a little bit too close to Worlds. It's the day after homecoming for me. And I'm pretty sure I'm just going to sleep in my classroom after that. Uh, long cold night so I won't make it to the so calling but our producer Colin man is that why don't we call him calling men <laughs> I don't know anyway Colin <laughs> Honingman and Blake Meyer will be on the microphones giving you that excellent bit of commentary that you so much love and enjoy so freaking check it out or go to it. Either one should be great. Yeah. Third time's the charm because those those guys are charming as fuck. So <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm really going to enjoy enjoy listening. Yeah, I can't wait. It's It would also be so great to play in it too. Like a tune-up right before the Worlds uh, tournament, you know, would be really, really nice uh, to be able to go to. So alas we can't make it happen but we do our own tuning up around here <laughs> or something okay i mean <clears throat> yeah yeah we do Woo. i don't know okay um for shout outs this episode i just want to shout out you isaac and colin for doing the reaction step our youtube show 
without me. My webcam uh, died for some reason, but uh, and then it was just like too hard of a, a work day to, you know, when you like get to that point where you're just like tired and you're just like, if one more thing fucking goes wrong right now, I'm going to lose my mind. Well, my yeah, you're like, fuck it. I don't care. Just throwing the <laughs> yeah. podcast down. Who yeah, cares? Just, totally. <laughs> yeah. So the the webcam was that moment for me. I was like, fuck it. Doesn't matter. So you know, I'm good now. It's all good. Yeah, we we missed you. It was uh told you half as mustache handsome as it could have been. But yeah. Um do you uh do you have any thoughts on that topic that you'd like to air uh right here really quick before we get started? Or are you you got anything brewing in the noggin about the, the ban and restricted announcement? No, I kind of, I mean, you guys did a really great job of talking about it and we talked beforehand and you, you know, I helped you all formulate your thoughts and stuff. So you pretty much touched on everything that I was into uh, talking about and I kind of put it on the discord already. So I kind of feel like I've said my piece and if you're like, Wait, I want to know what you said, Taylor. Well, join our Patreon and get on that Discord. We just had one of the most exciting people join our Discord, Try Guy, who's an OG from like the first probably five episodes we ever did, one of our first shout outs. And uh, he's finally coming home, you know? Yeah, it's great. So, we used to chat about Azalea. So, yeah, it's awesome. And then he, this was before there was a try shot, right? So mm-hmm. kind of called it. Our topic today, what does it mean to be competitive in flesh and blood? Or what does it mean to be a competitive player or person? in general, and in flesh and blood. Yes, exactly. So uh, this has kind of come about from, um, you know, just a number of people like, you know, us being on the grind uh, in a card game for the first time ever uh, over the past couple of years and uh, other people in our like immediate friend circle kind of talking about it and then kind of more publicly um, Roger Bodie from the Manor podcast uh, was kind of talking about his mental health and how he felt after like Leal and that sort of thing. So it, it just has been something that I have been brewing about to like help my friends with. And it's something uh, like, being competitive and the like kind of mental uh, gymnastics or skills you need to function as a human being in a world where there's like a winner and a loser constantly and uh, like you put personal pressure on yourself is something I think about a lot, especially as like a, a lifetime competitive sports person and uh, a, a basketball coach. Uh, you know, is is something I think about and also have to like help young men and women uh, navigate in their like teenage years. So uh, I thought there was 
just kind of a lot to talk about, uh, you know, with, you know, flesh and blood and, and that sort of thing. I hope I'm being clear. I always wonder when I get on these tangent or not tangents, but just like uh, pontificating that I am uh, no longer making any sense. And I believe this has just happened. <laughs> no, you're still uh, speaking in fluid sentences and uh, stringing the words together in the correct order. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I heard you loud and clear. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is something that kind of, we're going to talk about it in like relation to flesh and blood, but you know, it's, it's something that like permeates just being, you know, a person, right? Because we're, yeah. we're very much hardwired uh, to be competitive. You know, we're like a social species, but within that we compete, you know, we compete for food, we compete to provide for our family, we compete for a mate, we compete, you know, um, in many different ways, all the way up till the modern day where we, at least here, and many of our listeners live in, you know, uh, capitalist societies, um, where a lot of the, you know, media and stimulus and like input around us, uh, promotes individualism and competition and kind of being better than your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, definitely. um, so we're very hardwired to be that way. And, um, you know, it's like something that we all have to like wrestle with and understand and grapple with. But, uh, I do think that there are a lot of positives and a lot of negatives to being competitive. So um, let's just start before you uh, lead us through this topic. Let's just start by looking at, you know, what what is, you know, positive about competition and what's negative? Or at what point does being competitive become unhealthy, say? Uh, well, that's a lot of different questions that I think have a lot of different answers. But so I'll I'll do my best here. I struggle personally with being a person who is wired to be competitive, and I'm not sure it is actually healthy. It doesn't feel like it at a lot of times for me. Um, like losing is a huge struggle for me. I I pretty much hate it every time. Like not so much. I don't mean like when we're doing testing games and stuff, I'm like, well, whatever, you know, we're like the purpose of those is to learn, you know, but once it turns into like, okay, this is the, this is what I've been testing or practicing for. Like I hate losing, you know what I mean? And I also really dislike that I hate losing and that it makes me feel like crap. And I go in this little circle of like, ah, fuck, I hate myself for this feeling. Like, why can't I just be chill? You know? Um, so for me, I'm not necessarily sure it's always like a good thing, but the good aspects of my competitive nature are that it makes me rather um, driven and goal oriented. Like I can hardly ever just, uh, just do something and then just for the sake of doing it, if it's something I'm passionate about, you know, like 
I would like to be the most famous podcast and, you know, all of that stuff. And I want to be the best, uh, you know, basketball coach in my school's history and, you know, stuff like that. And because I have those wants, I believe I do a good job being like disciplined and trying to make the incremental uh, improvements needed to like be one of those things I would like to be in life. So that's maybe where competitiveness is a positive for me. But I don't think that like, I don't know, going out there and trying to win and be the best player in the world is like the healthiest thing or the best thing or like what everybody should do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so if you, on the flip side, right, if you were not competitive at all, um, you know, that would be just fine. You would have, you would derive, you know, purpose or accomplishment from other aspects of your life, Yeah, but Mm -hmm. you would not, like you said, be driven to set goals and achieve them, feel the, uh, pride and accomplishment for that. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, kind of derive that purpose, um, you know, from this activity, flesh and blood. So, you know, I think that that, uh, challenging yourself, um, setting, you know, uh, developing a plan, like a strategy, a game plan, testing, whatever, and, you know, working towards it, putting in the, you know, putting in the hours, maintaining self-discipline, and then, uh, going out and competing and, you know, uh, having a proud result is, you know, something that is very rewarding and, um, you know, it's like good for us as people. So I think that, you know, there can be a lot of positive things. Um, yeah, but I also could, I could also just probably like, and this is maybe a little bit off topic, like just be, uh, you know, obsessed with like, you know, my mile time or my, uh, the number on the bar for deadlifting or whatever, you know, where there's like no other person involved other than, you know, myself. And so for me, sometimes those solo activities can be a little bit more, um, less grating on my soul because it's just me and I can give me a bit of a break, I guess when I'm fighting me, I don't know, but that's just me. (laughs) So, right. Well, those are, you know, two different aspects of being competitive, right. Being self-competitive or being uh, outwardly competitive. I don't know what the other term is, but yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, All right. Well, do you want to uh, dive right into this? Yeah, totally. So uh, for maybe some of the listeners who haven't listened to a thousand of our podcasts, I mean, I know there's only like 50 something, but thousands of hours potentially. uh, Just like my brief history. So I played uh, sports 
pretty seriously in high school. And then I played college basketball for a while. And then I got really into coaching basketball in my mid twenties and then coached college basketball for a brief stint. And, um, then the pandemic happened and then, uh, me and Isaac picked up flesh and blood. And then that wound up having like a, uh, robust competitive, uh, tournament scene. And, you know, that kind of started for us with like skirmish season two over webcam, um, which the webcam I bought for those competitive seasons just died. Um, RIP end of an era. Um, but so during skirmish season two, it was like really hard for me to deal with coming out of like, or like learning how to be a competitive player in this game. Uh, you know, and I would kind of around that time too, I was getting pretty bummed with, uh, some of my losses between you and I over the kitchen table, you know? Um, and it was like really affecting my mood. So I had to kind of like make a mental shift and like work through some of those feelings and expectations I had with myself as like a flesh and blood player, which, um, we'll get into some of those, uh, strategies I used, um, but I, I think I now am in a really healthy place with the game. And, um, you know, I have learned a lot. But so that was a long time ago in whenever that was early 2020 or something or 2021 or something like that. And now we're almost in 2023. Um, and so it's taken it's been a journey. A lot of games of flesh and blood have been played since then to um feel like i'm okay with myself in the in the game so that's a bit of my background Uh, isaac i want to hear about you a little bit um before we get into just some of these like sticky uh points yeah this is great background (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i mean i played sports like all throughout my childhood um I played casually in college. My my school won the uh, U.S. championship when I went to school there. So uh, I was not good enough to get on that team, but I played with a bunch of the club players. What and, sport? Uh, in soccer. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and that's kind of where my uh, sports career ended, just like, you know, out of high school. or um, I played a lot of team sports casually, though, since then. Um, just in like, you know, minor local leagues or pickup or whatever. Uh, I also, I really love, well, I guess a lot of things, but I love to snowboard and I uh, do quite a lot of rock climbing. Taylor and I um, used to rock climb a lot together for, I guess, 10 years ago now. Jeez, <laughs> uh, I've been an adult for decades. <laughs> yeah. Or over a decade. But yeah. um, so we used to do that, a lot of that. And I still, um, I do a lot of rock climbing. And um, and then I kind of just like, I, I run a bit and just do some other things. But I, I notice I tend to gravitate towards like snowboarding is very much a communal, um, 
like a good time with my friends, but because I personally am like very self-competitive, I aspects of that still come out for me, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in terms of like, you know, even if I'm not like training that hard, but just plateauing, you know, climbing, um, for example, or something like that is, uh, I wouldn't say unhealthily discouraging, but, um, I think my mental, you know, what I'm focused on is always just about like, you know, my, I guess my self-competition, I can just elaborate on that a little bit more later, but that's kind of like um, yeah. the things that I'm interested in, what I've done and what I gravitate towards. I like the slow, solo sports, I'm not a bropper, you know, or like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, anything like that. So. Yeah, yep. definitely in high school and college, I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you, you know, like, <laughs> ah! you know what I mean? Not like I didn't talk shit or punch anybody, but I definitely felt that way, you know, like just freaking revved up to the to the maximum there. Um, but OK, so these are I'm going to just kind of go through some of these like easily digestible things uh, or like little sentences that I feel like they're kind of like mantras or, or that sort of thing um, that can kind of help you deal with uh, winning or losing and your attitude towards both. So right off the bat, I think one of the most important things to keep in perspective is your self-worth is not defined by a win or a loss. So uh, you are still the like good person giving to charity who like, you know, massages their spouse's feet at the end of a hard day's work and that sort of thing. And just because you potentially lost uh, a game doesn't mean that you still aren't that person that does all of those things and gives back to their community and is a good person with value, nor does it mean that you're a better person with more value if you are the world champion of flesh and blood, because it is at the end of the day, just a game, even though you potentially could care a lot about the results on a particular day. So your self-worth is not defined by your win or your loss. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that's a good starting point. And, uh, you know, just to elaborate on that, of course, we're not taking like anybody that wins a calling or a national championship or like puts in that work and, uh, you know, attains that goal, that is a monumental achievement and something definitely to be celebrated um, and to be very proud of for sure. Yeah. Um, I think what uh, Taylor's um, talking about is a little more like your, uh, you know, your value as a person, who you are, what, uh, you know, how proud of your life you should be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, is certainly not defined by a game. I definitely uh, approach games as, you know, there's, I guess there's a few, a few axes or whatever here um, that I look at. Like if I play a game and I play it tight, I don't make any mistakes. 
that I know of, especially if I watch, watch it back and don't make any misplays. That is awesome. Even if I lose, you know, say it's a bad matchup or, you know, just didn't go my way that, that time. So if I do make some mistakes, um, then this game has like almost more value because that's a learning point and odds are I'm not going to make that particular mistake again. Um, so that's something you can definitely take away from uh, losing a match. Uh, yeah. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Uh, I mean, that's just like one of, I think, the biggest lessons to learn um, right off the bat. Another one I really like, and uh, you know, I preach this to my players all the time because they can get really down about mistakes and, and that sort of thing, but is control the controllables. So there are certain things over the course of a game, over a tournament, over the day that you just like don't have control over, right? And so you cannot be wrapped up in worrying about those things you can't control, right? Uh, traffic, the weather, the four cards on the very first turn your opponent has, like those are all things you uh, can't control. So you can only control the uh, the controllables, which are basically can boil down to, in my book, kind of two things, which is your effort and your attitude. So, uh, you know, the the only thing you're in charge of is is how hard you're thinking about the lines and how much like potential uh, practice you've put in before the event, the effort you put in before that uh, to kind of help you win more games and then your attitude, right? Like, uh, are you going to lose or win with grace or are you going to be a dick across the table the whole time and make other people upset? Right. So those are kind of the two big things you can, uh, control that really make the world of difference for both you and your experience in that game and the person um, or persons you're playing with. Yes. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> congratulating your opponent uh, when you lose, but they move on or winning, you know, with grace is like definitely something you can be very proud of in hindsight. And that's not that you can always do that, right? Like maybe you're really tilted. Uh, maybe you got really unlucky with your hands and you're just like pretty, you know, pretty dejected and you just have to walk away. And sometimes that happens and that's okay. But, um, you know, again, striving for, you know, just high-fiving your opponent and being happy for them that they, you know, now qualified for this thing or whatever um, is yeah. some, something that you will look back on in an hour or that day or whatever and then be, you know, you know, content with how you behaved and like proud of how you handled that. So striving yep. for that, I think is very important. Totally. And little things too, like if you win, it might behoove you to say like, thank you for the game. I hope uh, you have fun for the rest of your, or not even fun, but you know, I hope you get home safe or whatever, rather than like saying potentially like, um, oh, what it like good game, you know, like when you're the winner, of course it's a good game you won, but finding a different way to uh, be gracious to your opponent in victory, 
I think is also a thing you can control and can make a difference in that sort of thing. Yeah, most definitely. Um, okay. So this is something that people talk about a lot and maybe they just haven't defined it a lot, but we're going to reiterate it again, but being process oriented versus outcome oriented. And that kind of goes back to things you can or can't control. Like, um, if for example, like you show up to the tournament, you've spent 40 hours for the last eight weeks preparing for this tournament and there's just a really bad matchup that the deck you're bringing has and you wind up seeing it like first second and third round and you lose all three and you still have four rounds to go but you uh you know are basically out of contention for winning the tournament but you win all four of your matches not against your bad matchup and that's what you had like really practiced and you nailed all of those games so uh the outcome you are kind of uh oriented about is winning the tournament but the potentially the process you should be uh more focused on is that um you put in all of this time and effort and it paid off in the matchups that you supremely practiced. And that part of that process was you uh, maybe made a deck choice that was a bit more risky and that um, you saw your bad matchups more frequently right in a row than you had anticipated. And that's something that's out of your hands. And um that like if you're too focused on the fact that you don't top eight and don't win that's like uh, a recipe for an unhealthy mindset but if you focus more on the fact that you put in all that effort and breezed through your like matchups you're supposed to win um then that is like a the the right healthy spin you can take on a tournament that makes sense to you isaac yeah, definitely. And I think that there's, um, you know, you're kind of, there's a line here, right? Because, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, you want to win and that's why you put in all this effort, right? Is to like win the tournament in that sort right. of thing. Right. So yeah, I was just going to point out there is a line between, um, basically like, blaming everything on luck or your opponent high rolled you or got lucky right. every time, right. right. is just assaging your own ego and, uh, uh, making it so you don't have to like, uh, I guess acknowledge mistakes you made or, you know, in ways that you are underprepared or outplayed or whatever. And then you're kind of just robbing yourself of ways to improve, um, for sure. So, gravitating towards that is like something i think you definitely need to watch out for because you will not grow as a person if every time it's just like well you know i've lost the die roll and then this and that and that but on the other side of that like you were talking about you know if you go to a tournament and you have there's three top decks and two of them are excellent matchups but you just get gemmed into 
you know, your bad matchup. You knew going into it, you have a 25% win rate against that deck. The other ones are great, you know. So this, you had a good approach to the tournament and you just kind of got a bit unfortunate in the tournament structure. You knew that was a risk. You have to be okay with losing, but, you know, you just got a bit unlucky. And if you go to a few more tournaments, you know, hopefully you'll you'll see some of your good matchups. Um, I think that's a very healthy, uh, you know, way to... Yeah. to look at what happened and you know be okay with because it it feels bad right playing all your bad matchups and just getting like pulverized into the ground (laughs) yeah in general not a reference to that card (laughs) (laughs) um, you know so that that can feel really bad and be really disheartening but then like after you're out of it it's like well you know this was the decision i made and this is you know it just happened this way and that was the risk i took Yeah. And it's hard. I think this is something I struggle with too, but uh, having the confidence in the work you put in and your decisions you made leading up to the tournament and then still getting uh, paired into a few more bad matchups than you wanted to, like um, having the kind of self-confidence needed to be like, well, I think I was still right. Like with the data I was presented and um, my chances for winning this tournament, I think were still really good leading up to it. And I wouldn't change what I had uh, chosen to bring to that tournament is a hard um, line of reasoning to put yourself into. I find, you know, for me personally, not having like a huge background in competitive card games sometimes i lack the like confidence to be like you know that was a good decision to bring that deck i put myself in a great position it just didn't work out for me is a hard thing to say to yourself uh in the moment but is sometimes like just really true and is kind of that being oriented about your process rather than your outcome does that make sense Yeah, I think that's a great point because, and I I don't know if I'd really thought about that uh, that in depth yet because I, it's really true, right? Like if you're playing sports or something, like if you're playing soccer, uh, you don't like get unlucky, right? You just get beat (laughs) or maybe (laughs) the other team surprises you with an innovative strategy or something, or maybe one of your players gets injured. Like there is variance, but not not to, to the degree um in that there are in card game tournaments and you know both of us are fairly new to this so yeah it is it is uh kind of a novel experience to go into a tournament and then be like well i didn't gem my way through it or you know this happened and this happened and yeah because in sports right like when you get to the games that matter the most you have like game film from the other team that you can then uh learn as much as you can about their strategies, their players, and then come up with an exact game plan for that very particular piece of competition. But in card games, you have to guess and also hope. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that is a little bit more challenging, but also part of the beauty of the game as well. That makes it like, you know, exciting and how you can be on a hot streak and you know that sort of thing so it's it's 
you know, it's just the nature of the beast and you also have to be okay with that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, hopefully this won't be too long of a side, side thing. So here, I'll but, just um, edit it out if it is, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, this is a really weird thing to wrap my mind around. And I was going to talk about how, so I'm like, like I mentioned, I'm very self-competitive. I'm like less concerned with, um, you know, being outwardly competitive or competitive. Like I need to beat this person, this fucking, this fucking guy at the store every fucking week <laughs> beats me. And I'm like, I'm going to crush him and I got to bring the deck to counter him. I don't care if I win armory. I just got to beat, you know, yeah, <laughs> not that it's that bad, but, um, I'm like more concerned with my own, um, my own performance and my own decision-making and, I'm, you know, I don't beat myself up about it afterwards, but I definitely like have a hardwired like trigger that if I make a mistake that costs me to some degree, I'm like in the moment I get over it fairly quick, but in the moment I'm like very disappointed in myself because I know better. I can do better. I have the reps. There's like no reason for me to do that. I just, you know, am fatigued or like made a bad decision and it's like for no reason or no reason that I allow myself to have. Right. And if you look at like, you know, I'll go back to rock climbing. Um, cause I've been doing more of that lately than anything else. And, uh, it's like climbing your, your managing, you're like problem solving, you're managing fatigue, you're managing some degree of stress depending on, um, you know, the, the degree of danger, like difficulty on what you're doing, but, um, you know, you're managing again, you're like paying attention to your heart rate and your breath and, um, you know, the lactic acid buildup in your arms and, um, you know, the distance between rests and, uh, like I said, problem solving kind of on the clock because you have X amount of, uh, energy and, you know, it's like all of these things that are very, very personal and just, uh, kind of very meditative. Right. So I think that I just kind of take that mindset into other things I do. And it's, I think it's very healthy in a lot of ways. Cause like I said, I like try to look at matches in terms of, you know, uh, my performance and what I could do better and, you know, how this play could have affected, you know, what the outcome was, but it's also, you know, like you were talking about just very, (laughs) it's kind of a very alien concept for me to be like going to this tournament with a different hero and having variance in the cards off the top and then who you get paired against and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, preparing for the, you know, the gamut of heroes and players in an event. And all of that is like kind of still new, I guess. Totally. All on you picking up what I'm putting down there. I definitely am. And something you do really well, this is my other point, um, just so we don't stay on these points for too long, but is you do not have to compare yourself to others, right? Which is really hard to do in our society because uh, in our culture here in North America, or maybe just the US, I'm not too familiar with Canada and and Mexico, but um, we're always trying to, you know, everybody's comparing themselves to somebody else like they make more money their spouse is more attractive or nicer or uh you know this and that you know they have a nicer watch etc um 
but you don't have to do that, right? Like, uh, I am not Isaac Jessen or Michael Hamilton or uh, Brendan Patrick, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, whoever else, Thor Mike. I'm just not those people. So it would be ridiculous for me to try to compare myself to those people where my life and my abilities are like way different, you know? So, um, not comparing yourself to another person in that way is like, uh, can be like way more, uh, beneficial. Cause I know there's like, okay, so everybody, every best player's got like a freaking posse of homies. You know what I mean? They got their homies they're going around with, and then they win and their homies don't, you know, and your homies sitting there going, well, shit, I played the exact same amount of games as you did and came to all of the same conclusions. And why didn't I freaking top eight and win, you know, and that's just like not where you want to be. You know what I mean? Like you're just comparing yourself to that other person. And um, when potentially, and I'm going to group this in here, you're not finding the little victories you could have over the course of the day, you know? And that was something like track and field taught me really well because like in the hundred meters, let's say like maybe you ran a hundredth of a second faster, boom, victory. Maybe you beat somebody who beat you last weekend, you know, boom, victory, you know? Uh, Maybe you had a faster like off of the blocks when the start gun goes off. Like these are all little places you can improve and notice and feel good about yourself doing. And it's the same thing in flesh and blood too. Yeah. Track is a great analogy for that. Um, yeah, you. I definitely agree. I mean, it's, it's like ingrained in us, right. From a young age to be competitive with other people. And like I am, everybody is, it's, it's the way of most of society. <laughs> I won't speak for everywhere, but, um, but yeah, it is, it is, um, you know, I think it's, it's much healthier to look at, you know, because of my biology and how I've structured my life or my, you know, upbringing or whatever, like I am never going to be the best, right? Like snowboarder or the best flesh and blood player, right? Because I'm probably not capable and I don't put in the time, even if I, what, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, and I'm okay with that. And that doesn't mean you can't like set goals to win armory or like, you know, top eight a calling or whatever. I'm not, you know, trying to, so you can't have dreams or like goals that you set, but it's just, you know, the world's very big and there's a lot of people in it and, um, having, yeah. having that healthy perspective of like, I guess, just being, you know, like just being proud of how you choose to live your life and focusing on that and your, you know, uh, I guess your behaviors and your accomplishments and all of that is uh, definitely the way to go, at least from my experience. And, uh, you know, again, that doesn't mean you can't set lofty goals or whatever, but if it's, you know, if you're just never happy until you're the best, you're just never going to be happy. Right. And I'm not saying it's easy to just like adopt that perspective and live that way, 
But if you acknowledge that that's like how you want to be and you start to make the effort, then slowly, like through making that effort, you'll start to, uh, you know, take that approach, right? Yeah. Like you don't just like flip, flip a switch and then just have like a healthy attitude, right? Like I don't always have a healthy attitude, but you can, uh, you can make the effort to like be the way you want to be. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, to like also some degree, like if your goal for the tournament is to not miss your tunic trigger and you don't miss your tunic trigger the whole tournament, but you go like, uh, two and five, you know, uh, in some ways that is exactly the same as winning the tournament. You know what I mean? Because that was like, uh, a personal victory that you wanted to accomplish that you then did do right now. Obviously they are not because of how our society, uh, or the community of card players like view things, but it is something that like I would be stoked on Isaac if that was your goal for like seven rounds to not miss your tunic trigger and you come back and you go, I did it. I didn't miss my tunic trigger. That victory you had and that goal you made would, I would be just as excited for you as if you had won the whole tournament. You know what I mean? Like those are, uh, yeah, the importance between those, the gap between the importance of those two things is much, 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 much smaller than you think it is, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, you played Kano at an event and you didn't miss sequence the entire event. Yeah. You know, that, that would be, that'd make me very happy. You know, Starbo <laughs> still Okanold fused me very early when I had an all red hand, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I didn't like, you know, miss sequence anything. Um, but I do want to I do want to tell a little story uh, to prep because I'm talking about like healthy mindsets and all that. Perfect. But like just to illustrate another thing to edit out here, no it's problem. More of a, because it's it's definitely just like a journey, not something you just do. Um, and I want to really uh, reiterate that. Like we played at a armory, I guess, like a few weeks ago or something like that, and we were playing draft, and uh, you and I got matched up. And uh, the game was very close down to the wire at the very end. And um, our life totals were very close. I might have been slightly ahead, but I I just kind of had a brain fart and I blocked with the wrong card. And if I had blocked differently, I could have, uh, you know, presented enough to strip three cards or something. But instead, I only presented three damage on the next turn or something like that. Um, and I got like really tilted. I was really bummed about that. And it's not, I mean, you beat me all the time, right? It's not like I like can't lose to you, but it was just like the combination of, uh, I was playing Dromai into Phi, which is like a pre, like a really hard matchup. You have to play really tight and it gets down to the wire and I was doing it right. Like I was executing it. I was playing well. Um, you know, like I I beat my last opponent and then in this matchup that I personally struggle with, um, you know, I was making the right decisions and then I just like, you know, uh, you know, made a mistake. 
I yep. guess, or like misblocked or whatever. And uh, I, you know, I think I said good game, but I wasn't like, great job, dude. You're going to, you're going to do great or whatever. I was like, yeah. pretty, uh, you know, pretty like bummed out. And it's like hard to totally describe it because it's just a feeling, you know, and then I like stood out in the sun and I reset my perspective and, you know, it was fine. But it was just like, uh, you know, I got like really uh, disappointed in myself for one tiny decision at one little armory, you know, which was just like needless and what a waste. But anyway, I just wanted to tell because it's like, you know, because I'm going to talk about a lot of things, but it's not like I just, you just, just do it and you'll be fine. You know, it's totally a, a practice that you make the effort to continue the practice, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's like completely natural to be bummed out about a loss because losing sucks, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like the whole point of the freaking game is to be the winner. You know what I mean? Like, and if it wasn't, then we wouldn't keep track of life totals and it wouldn't matter. You know, (laughs) you would just play until you were like, over yeah. it but there's like a cool a, slide <laughs> yeah totally cool game huh i'm out of deck now i guess we're done you know yeah <laughs> so it's just like you know that's uh the hard hard one of the hard truths um mm-hmm. uh so then the, the kind of last two things here before we'll take like a quick music break is um so setting goals right i'm a huge goal setter i set goals all the time and uh it was one of like the best things i learned in my undergrad was just like long-term goals short-term goals process oriented over outcome oriented you know and so one of my favorite acronyms is uh smart so you set smart goals and so that stands for specific measurable attainable realistic and time so specific meaning so like uh you know, if you were to say something like broadly, like I just want to be the best flesh and blood player ever, like that's not very specific. You know what I mean? But if your goal was, um, I want to top a, a skirmish, you know what I mean? Then that's very specific. And then the next thing is measurable. So you can totally measure that, right? That you made it to the top eight or like, uh, Another way to look at it is if you're like, I just want to get stronger, but if you don't put like potentially numbers to the specific exercise that you would want to hit, then it's going to be a lot harder to reach that goal. And then attainable. So like, you know, that's why I said skirmish, top eighting a skirmish, not just top eight worlds. You know what I mean? And I've only been playing for like three months. Like that might not be attainable for who I am, you know? Now, Michael Hamilton, three months, top eight worlds, totally possible, you know, but, uh, you know, he's on one end of the bell curve and I'm, I'm right in the middle and then realistic, right? So it's not very realistic that I'm in a top eight worlds because I'm not actually entered into the world's competition. I'm entered into the, the calling, you know, so, and then putting a specific time frame. So the last part of that is time. So making sure that you give an end cap to when you're going to try to reach this goal, right? Is like in flesh and blood, it's easy because there's like a season with a number of events that you could choose. But if it was like, I want to bench press 225 
um, and I'm going to give myself six months to do it or something like that is the time frame you want to put on there because then it just will like linger on and you might not ever reach it. And then the last little part of this that I wish there was like another uh, letter to go with smart, but it's okay to fall short as well. So you can make a really great goal that's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and has a time component and you still might not complete it. But you're, oh, and this is what I wanted to briefly talk about, but you're in to, you're like invested in the process of reaching that goal. And that's something that you also have to fall in love with if you want to be a a competitive player and get better at flesh and blood is you also have to fall in love with the practice, right? You're going to practice flesh and blood way more than you're going to compete in flesh and blood. You know what I mean? And so you have to enjoy the practice part of it to uh, improve. Yeah. That's just great life advice in general. I mean, you know, thanks coaching it up over here. Yeah. Self-help podcast. (laughs) Everybody's doing great out there. Uh, Yeah. So I mean, enjoying the practice though, kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about because yeah, uh, if you figure out how to like, if you flip a bad matchup into a good one, that's awesome. That's a huge achievement. And you should feel great about that. Nobody saw except your testing partner, but it doesn't matter, you know? So that's yeah. a very attainable goal. And then you do it. it that's like, feels really, really good. And Definitely. this, this is great advice for uh, a lot of reasons, but setting attainable goals is uh, very important because it'll make you more productive. Like when you set a huge goal, like, you know, I, I don't know. I want to, own a home in 20 years, you know, it's like, well, okay. (laughs) Hope in 20 years I I do that or whatever, you know? Um, (laughs) But if you set very specific, like uh, attainable goals, you can, you know, and I do this, like, like I said, in my life, um, it'll give you a solid project to work on and something to like move towards. And, uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it will also, using this process will also, uh, you know, give you the, the dopamine hit of like achieving these goals. You know, so if you, like you said, if your goal is to like top eight a calling, which, you know, I'd love to do that. That would be great. But if you don't have any other goals, then you're just like, you know, in like whatever purgatory or something until yeah. that yeah. maybe comes along um so instead you can have a series of goals leading up to a big goal but you can focus on each goal as it comes and you can uh achieve those goals and feel accomplished and then uh you know move on to the next one exactly yeah you don't want to set yourself up to continually fail at your goal you want to make the steps to the to reaching the ultimate goal, which is great. That's a great piece of advice there, Isaac. Um, okay, so we're going to take a short musical break interlude, and uh, then we'll be right back. See you soon. Okay, and we're back. So let's talk about losing, which is 
for most of us, either half of the game or well over half of the game. So I'm pretty good at losing. <laughs> awesome. Well, then you can just check out for this part. So uh, learning how to lose is tough. I mean, like movies, literature, everything all the time shows you how to win. You know what I mean? You ah, celebrate, pound your chest, shake your opponent's hand, uh, get interviewed by the newspaper, go see the mayor, et cetera. Like that's, you know, it's easy to know how to win, but learning how to lose uh, is, is um, much more challenging. So I tell my players and myself all of the time, like you can't just lose, you have to learn as well, right? Or we don't lose, we just learn. So a loss is always a learning opportunity, even if it's like something really small outside of the game, like making sure you drink water during the match. Like, boy, I was freaking parched that whole time. I should have drank some water. Maybe that led to like some poor decision making, you know, like maybe that's the thing I've learned or, um, you know, learned a different line or how to combat a certain strategy like the the strategy you're employing just certainly did not work. So potentially you should change your strategy, right? That's one of your learning opportunities in really looking for these uh, these little windows of enlightenment is a skill and you need to practice it, right? You don't just go, okay, I'm going to learn from my losses. And then you do it. Like, wouldn't life be so easy? It's like, well, okay, I'm just going to be rich. And then now I'm rich. You know what I mean? Or, uh, boy, I don't want to be depressed anymore. So boom, no longer depressed. You know, that's just not how it works. Those, you know, some of these things are skills that you need to practice, you know, and looking at your mistakes is potentially, uh, a double edged sword, right? If you only look at it as like, ah, I freaking blew it. You know what I mean? Uh, that could just put you in a too negative a headspace. And it's really hard to learn when you're just like really upset like that. So like, uh, if you're like, okay, that was potentially a mistake and I'm going to burn into my brain that like, you know, I overvalued this card and undervalued this one and should have blocked slightly different. And that potentially would have like given me a bit more of uh tempo throughout the match. Yeah, I agree. Um, I actually did a lot of losing recently because I, I took, uh, Dromai to a couple road to nets and like different things before I'd like had a lot of practice or had like matchups dialed or even knew what I was doing and like did kind of a lot of losing, but it was just like, you know, real world experience. And I like understood what I was there for, which made the losing a lot easier. Right. <laughs> if you're dialed and going into uh, a matchup, you think you should win or a tournament you're like prepared for and what to do well in, then it is a lot harder to lose. Um, but yeah, looking at like, I like to use the analogy of taking strokes off your golf game, you know, or just like, you know, being uh, like having your best performance, you know, in a soccer match, right? Or, uh, you know, like, or playing a board game with your friends and you just, you know, you, you play a new race you haven't yet and then you kind of unlock their engine in that strategy and you execute it, right? Like that's all very rewarding 
but it's completely independent from from like outright winning but it's almost right. better because you uh you like grew as a person right you like learned things you used your problem solving and you right. you know performed better than you ever had before and you know none of this and what i'm about to say is like doesn't really help in the moment but it will help afterwards um looking back at things and hopefully approaching things maybe but the bottom line is that is like if winning was too easy or if you won often it would be hollow right like it wouldn't yeah. matter <laughs> yeah. you know like if something is not you know seemingly like insurmountable initially and extremely challenging and takes a lot of your dedication and mental capacity and preparation to overcome then you know if you just show up and beat everybody maybe that feels good in kind of some way but that's kind of just like uh like i would say like a kind of unhealthy indulgence of your ego that's just like <laughs> ha i thought i was better than these people and i am you know <laughs> Which like totally. doesn't Which I, help you I, as a person at all. <laughs> I definitely do that when I play against like high school freshmen for basketball, <laughs> just like or junior high kids and just destroy them, you know? Nice. It's like not hard for me, Still but Still got it. I'm not yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just padding my ego is all it is, you know? And yeah. maybe making it so like some young uh athletes never play basketball again you know? so it's, it's like maybe really bad and detrimental to my career totally <laughs> but so if you know while it might feel good to show up and win an armory once or whatever, like if you showed up to every tournament and just won without like really any effort you know then like say you just show up and you know you're playing fi or whatever and you just like run over everybody over and over again then it's just like it's boring you know you make no personal progress you don't exercise your problem solving you just yeah exactly don't do anything the, so it's like it's important it, to remember that you you know you you need to lose a lot to have the the victories be worth anything yeah. All right. Sorry, there's a ahead. there's a whole anime about this. Yeah. It's called One Punch Man, who just like is just too powerful and he's just he wins all of his fights super easy and it's just like whatever, you know? His life <laughs> is kind of sad because of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. I recommend it. Um so another so here's the hard truth about losing, right? you're going to lose. There's, there's no way around it. You know, at some point you're going to lose and you're also going to lose bad. Like some of your losses are going to be freaking brutal and they're going to suck. And it's going to be against someone who rubs it in your face. And what your job is in those moments is how much you let that affect you. Right. Thankfully, as long as you are still alive, there's another game to be played, right? And sometimes you just need to forget about that brutal loss, right? And move on. And it might not be a learning opportunity for the game in that moment, but it, 
it can be a learning opportunity for you as like a person like Isaac was mentioning. And these are totally natural things that happen all of the time. You know, nothing makes me, well, there are a few things that make me really, really mad, you know, or like make me feel like my eyeballs are on fire or something like that. And it's like, if Isaac brutally beats me in a matchup, I really want to win. I, I freaking lose my mind and need to like, (laughs) cool off, you know, and it just happens. And I try to learn and not play Isaac that much. So I don't freak out, you know, (laughs) just kidding. But it is a thing, you know, that, that does happen. And, and it's okay to be upset about a loss, you know, but the degree of how upset you are and how much that affects you is totally your choice and something you're in control of. And, uh, you know, it happens and it's okay. Yeah. And it's, it's hard in the moment. So yeah, if you just, you know, get up and take a break and like reset, you know, that's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to handle that because those triggered feelings are like not under your immediate control, but like how you react to them is totally so. you just do four shots of bourbon and then you're good to go <laughs> uh i thought that would be funnier <laughs> yeah but we do not uh you know support uh using drugs and alcohol to uh help your mental state we don't condone that <clears throat> anyway uh so like Okay, so the other thing I think about a lot is like the, you know, anxiety you get before a big match or a big tournament and stuff and kind of, okay, so let's think about it like this, right? So there's in sports psychology and probably like regular psychology, but I learned it in sports psych, is that there's like a certain level of arousal everybody needs to perform optimally, right? And your job as a competitor is to figure out how much of it you need, you know? Like, uh, for example, uh, another basketball example is, uh, so recently retired J.J. Redick, who played for Duke University and, uh, you know, one one of the greats for sure. Uh, one of the best shooters of all time. Uh, he has this like kind of insane uh, kind of OCD like workout he has to do before every game that's like highly structured and has all of these times and he has to hit all of these goals in a certain amount of time, et cetera. And that's how he gets ready for a game. Um, and so he likes this like really high intensity, mentally focused bit where his teammate, Joel Embiid, uh, is just like shooting half court shots and like eating grapes on the sideline and dicking around and, you know, just what would seem like is wasting his time before a game, not getting prepared. But both of those players need a different level of arousal before they compete and figuring out what your level is, is an important part to, uh, competition 
And so anything you can do to like either ease your anxiety by like making sure you have water, snacks, you pre-did all of your deck checks the day before, um, et cetera, uh, is, is up to you. But if you're like, if you need that extra level of like hypeness, so you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to just like do all of this. I'm going to sleeve my deck, write my sideboard guide, like. 10 minutes beforehand and that's how I'm going to get prepared, you know, like then that's up to you and there's no right or wrong way, but you just have to know like where your level of arousal needs to be before uh, a tournament or a match. Interesting. So what's your level of arousal Taylor? Uh, Well, it depends on the activity, but so since this is a flesh and blood podcast, uh, for flesh and blood, I would like to be as calm as possible. So I tried to like do all of my pre-tournament prep stuff beforehand, and I want to be early to the event. So all of those things like ease my anxiety so that when I sit down for that first match, I can be like really calm, you know, even if there's like a level of like kind of standing around and twiddling my thumbs with nothing to do and I'm alone with my thoughts, that's better for me to sit there and go, okay, totally fine. You're going to be fine, you know, and like try to like make some jokes with you or say hi to somebody else at the tournament that I know and have like an awkward conversation. Like that's the level of hypedness I want to be. But like before a freaking basketball game, I am like uh, chewing the soul out of the piece of gum I have in my mouth, you know? Like it's family and it's ancestors are going to freaking feel how hard I'm chewing it, you know? And I have to get myself like really, really like kind of hyped up to be able to coach for a, for a whole game or play for a whole game or that sort of thing. So it depends on the activity, but for flesh and blood stuff, that's one-on-one like that. I need to be calm. And so I try to make sure I am in that state for performance. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought about, I guess I don't really, I don't have any like prep for flesh and blood. I've always kind of approached it as a, I mean, I certainly have played in things where I would want to do well and like play hard, but um, I've always approached it kind of as a board game um, for fun. So never really did the same. God, like when I'm I wish my brain a, could do that. <laughs> Well, I it didn't even like occur to me to have because I haven't like found a warm up or something for it. So uh, the one thing I do is I don't play games beforehand because I get like fatigued, mentally yeah. fatigued if I play eight rounds of CC in a day, and the last round or two are like pretty trash, or just for my own you know uh, measure. So I don't play a couple warm up games in the morning because I feel like I have X amount of mental capacity or whatever and i just like save it for the the round yeah i'm a very big on rituals and that sort of thing so like the way i pack my deck box stuff i have in my bag where it goes etc all of that stuff is like uh planned out for me and that's just how i am like before basketball games in college and high school i'd like put on the same sock you know, right sock first, left sock first, right shoe first, left shoe nice. second, you know, 
et cetera. Um, and that's like part of my, my tools to ease my anxiety, you know? I do. Yeah. If I'm about to get on a route that I'm like very intimidated by and like my hands are sweating and I feel kind of sick because I'm afraid I do like just breathe. And I tell myself it's all in my head, you know, because I'm like physically capable of doing this like including my mind, you know, like yeah. my biology, I'm like capable of doing this. It's just my own mind that's going to get in my way or whatever, you know? So I think I do, I don't do that quite that ritual with flesh and blood, but I do kind of take that, that mindset, right? Like I'm capable of this. I just, right. you know, I like may make mistakes. I may not perform up to my abilities or whatever, but it, you know, it's in me to do it. So, um, you know, I don't know if that clarifies anything, but I, yeah, do, like, no, it does. I do, I do, you know, walk into a tournament or something like, I think kind of you know, trying to, trying to have the same approach because you can do it. Just got to not get in your way. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and then some people's like mental prep before stuff too is like, uh, well, whatever happens today happens today. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if they set any expectations for themselves, it is too hard to overcome if they don't reach those expectations. And so just being like detached, um, help helps them in, Mm -hmm. uh, the games and that sort of thing. You know, like when I was prepping for the calling Vegas, like I took that very seriously, I mean, we all pretty much took that very seriously and we all did like relatively well, but I, my only goal was to like, I just really, really wanted to make day two, you know? And I think I've talked about this on the podcast when we were, when this happened. Um, but then, you know, we were hanging out with like Dante Del Fico, shout out to him. Uh, he's still alive, still plays the game. It's great. And, uh, Brendan Patrick and, um, me and Dante were still alive to top eight on day two. So I made day two, which was awesome. I was like, hell yeah. And then they were talking about like, Hey, you could top eight, et cetera, you know? And I just never considered that. And then I kind of started to become attached to that idea. And my day two did not go as I wanted it to. Like I won my first match and then I kind of, uh, slipped a little bit in my second match on day two and lost. And then I lost the next one. And then I like regained my like mental armor to, to kind of win, I think the fourth round, but, um, you know, the, my mindset had changed. And so thus my performance and decision-making did too, you know, um, which is not to say like your expectations can't change, but for me personally, uh, I think that had something to do with my day two, which I still did really good. I wound up getting 25th at that tournament. I think there was like 900 people in it or something like that, which was like pretty great, uh, for me in retrospective. But then, you know, kind of immediately I was like, Oh, I didn't top eight. Fuck. I suck. You know, but it's really like, I did all of the stuff I wanted to do already. So it was totally fine. Got in your own head a bit. Yep. Yeah, totally. 
Um, okay, so here's uh, another kind of truth about um, card games and the like uh, is that if your goal is to be like the best there ever was, um, you have to come to the fact that there is a certain level of talent associated with being the best, you know, like your brain just has to function for card games, like the thinking about it and how to value the game and look at the game, like for whatever reason, for some of us is a lot easier than it is for other people, you know, um, and the level of effort you are willing or able to put into the game also affects that. And there's like a degree of luck, right? So um, not that you can't like overcome some of these things, such as talent, like you can certainly uh, make up for a lot of ground with your worth, work ethic versus someone who's just purely talented and doesn't work as much. But once you run into someone who is talented, works really, really hard, and you potentially is lucky on the day, like it might not just be your time to win, you know? And these are kind of some of the hard truths I have have to uh, deal with personally that like, albeit I am a good strategist and a uh, good, um, oh, I don't know what it is, good at practice and that sort of thing and like really love that aspect of, uh, competition that I just do not have the talent for flesh and blood to like be really good and for the game to feel easy. Like the game is really hard for me, especially now that everybody's getting way, way better. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's challenging. And I don't, I, I probably am like slightly above average, but, um, not by very many degrees. So those are kind of some of the other hard truths you have to kind of uh, deal with. Isaac, you have a really great note here with this, and I'll let you you take it away here. Uh, sure. I think we already kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, if you're like, if you're only satisfied with winning, then that might be like the drive that you need to be the best player in the world right like the best players in the world have that kind of drive where they they like have to win and they have to be the best for the most part um and they're willing to put on the work and they have the right brains for it but out of all of those you know best the michael hamiltons or the Tarek patels or you know yuki lee benders or whatever of the world there are dozens or hundreds or thousands maybe of other players who do moderately well and, um, you know, give performances that they should be proud of, but I'm sure are disappointed in their, uh, you know, placement or their uh, achievements so far. And, uh, you know, that's like a hard, hard road to walk that, um, you know, it does give you that, that ambition in that drive um, needing to win that much. But for most players, it might uh, detract from your, you know, your happiness. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> I need to take a quick pause here to deal with some work stuff and then we'll get right back into it.
And so um, before we kind of wrap this up, I wanted to, I talked a little bit about, you know, like resetting um, or just like taking a moment to like, you know, get your perspective straight. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this a bit um, in terms of flesh and blood and just like what I do personally, I realize that this doesn't apply to everybody, but for me, uh, my personal experiences and things I've seen have kind of, uh, you know, led to some points. Um, I think in the modern world, it's very easy for us to get uh, pretty bogged down in our own small bubbles just because of the amount of uh, time we spend uh, on the internet and um, how the algorithms and our behavior just naturally construct bubbles for us. And, uh, you know... Um, within our lives also like a, you know, our local game store, our friends or our family. And it's, it's uh, easy to, you know, see the whole world just through that small lens or that very skewed um, lens. And I think that that, you know, can, can be a pretty big factor when you're, you're talking about your competitive play in flesh and blood. And um, I always try to just, again, it's not always in the moment. It's not always easy, but I try to, uh, kind of reset my perspective and just have like an honest and healthy um, outlook towards, uh, you know, the gravity of, you know, the game I just lost or my performance or, you know, what has happened and, you know, how that should be truly weighed in my life. And um, I think that, you know, a few things can lead to, uh, I guess players being a bit too entrenched or too invested, I guess, in outcomes. Um, and you know, this, this definitely goes hand in hand with being competitive and wanting to win, right? Like there's no way to completely separate yourself from it. But, you know, I think if you get too, too like burned out, just testing for flesh and blood and just playing flesh and blood and just being very invested in the outcome, um, it can lead to being too strong of an imbalance in your life, right? So we all need, we all have these like uh, hardwired needs, right? Like we, you know, we need to have a sense of purpose. We need to like contribute to our, you know, our community, whether that's our family or our friends or whatever community we have. And, um, you know, if I think it can happen where you, some players find themselves, you know, uh, just grinding away at work and not really doing anything else and just having flesh and blood um, as kind of their outlet, which is awesome and a very valuable thing. But if you're deriving all of your, um, you know, your purpose or your meaning in your life from your flesh and blood goals, then I think that the like underperforming or a loss or whatever can be like truly devastating, right? Whereas if you, uh, if you get rewarded for other aspects in your life, like you, um, you know, you, your job is very rewarded. You're investing in what you do for a living or, you know, you're raising your family or you, you know, you have other, you play pickup basketball on the weekends and, you know, you love competing in that tournament. Um, I think that those other factors can help, you know, counterbalance your flesh and blood performance. Right. Um, does that make sense, Taylor? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, I think we touched on that a little earlier in the podcast too. Um, you know, and so yeah, I mean, it's the I think what you're boiling it down to is that flesh and blood is still just a game, right? Mm-hmm. And games uh should be fun and that if you're having a hard time like finding the joy in the game, then maybe it's time to take a break, right? And figure out um how you can find that joy in the game again you know yeah definitely because yeah flesh and blood gives us you know it gives us like purpose and sport and community and all of those things that we really need and are very valuable for us but like i was saying if you if you don't maybe get any of those from anything else you know it i think it can lead to it you know being the sole source of that and then therefore weighed a bit too heavily. Uh, another uh, last thing I can kind of, I kind of see um, in this, you know, perspective category, I guess, is that, you know, it, if you're uh, some players, I feel like are like too heavily invested in the game um, in terms of their, and we, we led at this at the very beginning, but in terms of their, uh, ego or their self-worth rather right so in the same way if you you know if you have no other inputs in your life and you know your your sense of self-worth or your ego is entirely reliant on what happens in your flesh and blood world or career then that might be a bit too fragile of a state of being you know you can you know, there's all kinds of things you can do if you find that, you know, fab is too, weighed too heavily or, you know, uh, an unhealthy, you know, unbalance in your life. You know, you can, like I said, you can play sports, you can volunteer somewhere, you can, you know, like uh, pick up another hobby. There's like, you know, all kinds of ways to, uh, you know, find find the right balance that's right for you. Sorry, I've been rambling a bit trying to get this point across, but um, <laughs> anyway. Sorry, right, I'll just cut it out again. This is be a short episode after these three edits I have to make. Yeah, totally. Which is, uh, you know, maybe for the best. Just kidding. I love you and value your input very much. Thank you, even when I ramble on. Totally. Well, I told you at the beginning of the podcast how valuable the uh contributions to our outline for this podcast were um so there i said it publicly thank you um okay so let's move into a few segments here uh we have some listener questions and then we'll move right into uh pick pass and pray So first up, I think we're only going to answer just one of our listener questions, uh, and that's from Thor Mike. He wanted to know ways to prep your mind for a day slash two days of high-level competitive play. So I'll let you handle that one first, Isaac. I kind of, I mean, talked about my mental state a little bit or lack thereof preparation, but there are a few things that are like uh, getting enough sleep like is pretty huge for me. Um, not just like 
partying and sleeping three hours for multiple days on end. So that's kind of just my biggest goal is like getting enough sleep. I always eat pretty healthily. So I think that that's also important, but um, yeah, sleep. I would definitely echo both of those things. For me, my mental game is like, uh, so if I have a big two-day competition coming up, for me, all days after the end of that competition do not exist. So leading up to that event, I'm like, I only exist now for the time it takes for this competition to uh, end. And once it's over, then I can think about the next days. But I'm here just living only basically for this one thing, right? Because if I add in the extra weight of like work the next day or travel or the next week's et cetera, you know, uh, then it becomes a little bit too much for mental load for me to be able to like stay focused for that long. So I just like separate my brain from that. That's how I do it. Good question. I agree. Yeah. You're not thinking about, you know, something that's due on Tuesday or whatever. Totally. You're just like, I'm trying to, trying to freaking win right now. Yep, yep. That's it. Our next question is from Levi, but I think we're going to cover this on the next episode. Exactly. What a great teaser. So before we get into Pick, Pass, Pray, at the end of this month, we're going to give you all of our secrets and outline exactly what we did to prepare for the world's tournament. Um, a, a lot of people have like kind of, um, kind of vaguely talk about their process of practice or testing, et cetera. And we're going to just tell you like with minute detail, everything we have done previous and what we did this time and what's working, what's not working and all of that. Um, just so if you're looking to start your own team, you kind of have an idea of like what to do and how to improve upon it. Now, obviously if we win worlds, and the calling, then what we did is perfect and you don't need to change it. But if we don't feel free to make any sort of changes and, you know, that sort of thing, you know, we're, we're B tier players at best. And so, uh, hopefully we can get you from, you know, whatever tier you're on to the next one with what we're about to give you for that next episode. But anyway, let's move into pick pass prey. So it's going to be a little bit different this time. This is a non-real world scenario, but never a th uh, a three cards we have like actually put up on the uh, pick pass prey. And I just wanted to know kind of your thoughts. And I don't actually have an answer going into this. So um, <clears throat> this is still a draft scenario, Isaac. But for some reason, there's a, a mess up in this pack, and it has three pieces of equipment. Um, so first card up is Sash of Sandakai. It's a draconic equipment chest, defends for zero, and reads instant. Destroy Sash of Sandakai, gain one resource. Activate this ability only if you have played a red card this turn. Boom. First card. Second card, 
Heat Wave, Draconic Ninja Equipment Arms, Defends for Zero, Reads, Instant, Destroy Heat Wave, Phoenix Flames, You Control, Gain plus one attack until end of turn. And it also has Quell. If your hero would be dealt any damage, you may pay one resource to prevent one of that damage. If you do, destroy Heat Wave at the beginning of the end phase. Quell one, by the way. Last card is Spellfire Cloak. Wizard Equipment Chest defends for zero and it reads, instant, destroy Spellfire Cloak, gain a resource, activate this ability only during an opponent's turn. And it also has Arcane Barrier 1. If your hero would be dealt Arcane Damage, you may pay one resource to prevent one of that damage. So, Isaac, which one are you going to pick, pass, and pray comes back around? I'm going to pick Spellfire Cloak. Nice. And I'm going to pray Sash of Sandakai comes back around. Although if I'm uh, an Easlander later on, it doesn't much matter. Um, <laughs> but I just believe that Spellfire Cloak by kind of a narrow margin, but uh, I guess ups your game by the most, for lack of a better better descriptor. You know what I mean, though? It's like the most valuable out of these equipments. Sash of Sandakai is really good. Um, it's pretty good in Dromai. Um, in Phi, a lot of times it can enable an extra, like, you know, four damage or whatever on a turn, which is very powerful. Uh, Heat Wave is also good, but it's only worth one to two damage in a game and cannot be used in junction or in conjunction with its Quell ability. The Quell ability is nice. Um, to have on deck like if you're playing against Easlander or whatever but uh, I just think that that is less impactful than Sash and then I think Spellfire Cloak is the most valuable in my book it's essential in the mirror it's pretty great for pushing damage early if you're playing against Dromai and are just trying to pedal to the metal and uh, you know same, same thing against Fi. I guess it's just a great enabler what are your thoughts Gosh, it's really tough, and I wish you had inspired me more one way than another because I have no clear answer. But I'm going to I think maybe Sash has the bigger upside, and so especially with it being available for two heroes, I think that is going to be my pick. Because I just think that one resource you can get from Sash probably equals a bit more value points, uh, even though they might be a f few compared to Spellfire Cloak. Um, certainly, I want both if I'm in any hero. Like, I definitely want those. Um, but I do pray that Spellfire Cloak comes back around. And then Heat Wave, super good, basically Phoenix Flame Goliath Gauntlet, but it's like <laughs> not as good as like Silken Form is like definitely the best arms, right? Because you can use the Quell and make a dragon, uh, you know, use all of its ability and get full value out of it that way. Um, and you you don't get that with um, 
whatever it's called heat wave uh you know so yeah that's it so i'm going to pass on heat wave pick sash of sandikai and pray spellfire cloak comes back around even though like i have a bias towards uh icelander and probably would pick spellfire cloak if for some reason it was the foil in the pack um just because like you definitely need that and can get away with sash but now i'm talking myself out of it nope i'm sticking with sash sticking to my guns i think you might be right playable in two heroes is pretty good i feel like you're right though anyway (laughs) there we go um game from a closet isaac it's your turn nope passing on the segment which i told you (laughs) before the episode started but now i'm on the spot (laughs) totally i haven't been playing many board games for quite a long time so uh do not have a game from the closet on deck nice got you a little bit there which i can edit out if you're upset about it but if not we're leaving it in sure okay (laughs) you always end on a strong note oh dude it wouldn't be one of our episodes (laughs) if we didn't kind of peter out here at the end yeah you know nobody makes it this far anyway so uh thank you if you did make it this far um we really appreciate you i know this is a one of our heavier episodes and you know these are always my favorite ones to prepare for and think about and do so appreciate everybody who listens and uh if you appreciate us right back think about supporting us on patreon um if that is not financially viable please uh like and subscribe comment etc all of that stuff helps boost the algorithm and for us to be the greatest podcast ever uh we need to have that happen (laughs) greatest podcast in any category (laughs) totally we're coming for you joe rogan and serial radio lab um this american life i don't know other great ones (laughs) also uh i mean nobody's definitely listening now but um (laughs) this has been like a very like as a personal podcast so if you have your own, you know, struggles or solutions or perspectives on what it means to be, you know, competitive or, you know, uh, how that's healthy or beneficial or, you know, makes for a bad experience for you or whatever, um, go ahead and share those with us. And, you know, we could have a follow-up episode someday or just, uh, you know, discuss that on a different platform. Heck yeah. That's a great strong finish. I love it. So we'll see you in the next episode, everybody, and we'll see you at Worlds. Goodbye. Good night. Good morning. (laughs) Arvita Sane. (laughs) Ciao. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the Attack Action Podcast. On Twitter, we are at BattleBroTaylor and at BattleBroIsaac. Shoot us an email the attack action podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, like, and subscribe shop for singles using our affiliate link or support our Patreon for as little as $4 per month.